0: Gracious Father, may you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law, things that are necessary for us, things that are instructive, things that protect us, that strengthen our faith, that warn us, that guide us. May we be attentive to your voice. May we be attentive to your word that you may be glorified in us and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open once again to 2 Peter chapter 2. And after several weeks off uh, celebrating Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, it's good now to be back in 2 Peter. And as Ray already mentioned, we do find ourselves in a particularly heavy section of this letter where Peter is discussing and describing False teachers, the danger, the presence of false teachers and what they represent to God's people. They have been and they continue to be a clear and present danger. And yet, even as we say that, even as we think about this truth, it is important that as we come to verses 10 to 16, it's important that we strike the right tone. It's important that we approach this topic from a sense of hope and confidence, not fear and worry and anxiety. It's important that we remember, that we not lose context, but that we remember what Pastor Stephen just preached a couple weeks ago, where Peter said in verse 9, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's who our God is. He is a God who knows how to rescue, how to preserve, how to strengthen, how to uphold His children in the midst of every trouble, every obstacle, and every false teacher. So here, as we come to this text now... Peter is calling us to confidence in God. He is calling us to confidence in God and His grace. Why? Because the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. But that's not all that Peter says in verse 9. Let's read all of verse 9. He says the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And who who is that? Who leads the way? Who models the way? Who leads us down the road of of defiling passion, of indulging the flesh and despising authority? It is false teachers. False teachers do these things. They encourage these things. And so in verses 10 to 16, Peter paints a picture for us. It's descriptive. It's graphic. It's painful. It's troubling, but it's necessary for our good and for our growth. Now, why does Peter do this? Why why does Peter spend so much time on this topic? I mean, I'm sure as as, as Ray read the verses earlier, I'm sure you were thinking, well, this doesn't sound very nice at all. This doesn't sound very pleasant. Doesn't Peter know that in 2023 we're, we're educated people? We're into tolerance and acceptance of everyone and everything. Doesn't Peter know it is not polite? It's not polite to call out false teachers it's not polite to tell them that their actions and their motivations are wrong and evil and worthy of death doesn't peter understand that these false teachers do have a problem but the problem is they don't love themselves enough that these false teachers they need to embrace their truth whatever their truth happens to be at the present moment I know we're not there yet, but jump ahead to verse 15. Look at verse 15 for just a moment. Peter writes these words. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. This whole blind tolerance, love yourself, embrace whatever truth you want thing, that's a problem for Peter. And it's a problem for us. Brothers and sisters, there actually is a right way. There actually is a right way. And it's possible to forsake the right way. It's possible to be led astray. It's possible to pursue a path that leads to misery, to pain, and to destruction. Proverbs 16.25 warns us, saying, "...there is a way that seems right to a man." but its end is the way to death. So listen, Peter, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, Peter, with a true right understanding of the holiness and the transcendence of God, Peter, out of genuine love for his readers, writes this description of false teachers. Here's what I'm trying to say. Note this on your outline. It is not unkind. It is not unloving to talk about false teachers and false teaching. It is necessary. It is necessary for you. It is necessary for me. How will we know them? How will we recognize them? What are they like? What, they, what do they do? How can we avoid the misery and the pain that they are leading people towards Remember, it was Jesus who said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus' point is that even if, even if you had this crazy looking fruit tree growing in your backyard and you had no idea what it was, even if you were not a pomologist, that's a new word I learned this week, pomologist. It's someone who studies fruit trees and nut trees. Even if you were not a pomologist, even if you had never been to college, even if you spent your entire high school career in detention, you would eventually figure it out. You would. You would eventually figure it out. How? By looking at the fruit. It would be obvious what fruit tree you have. You'd look at the fruit. You would know. That is Jesus' point. False teachers can be known. They can be identified by the fruit, by the overall direction of their lives, by their attitudes, by the desires that motivate and guide them and drive them. So with that in mind, look again at the second half of verse 10 on into verse 11. Peter writes, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Please note this on your outline. Number one, false teachers are loud, proud, and imagine themselves to have much more power than they actually do. False teachers Peter writes are bold and willful. This word bold could also be translated as reckless. They are reckless in how they flaunt their sin before the face of God. They are reckless in the fact that they are daring God to act, daring God to judge them. They are willful in the sense that they are self-directed. That's what false teachers are. They are self Directed, they are their own authority, their own feelings guide them. Their own personal selfish goals direct them. They do not listen to the wisdom of God. They do not honor the word of the Lord and that should be obvious to us. That is obvious to us based on what we've already studied in 2 Peter. But then Peter says a most curious thing. He gives us a strange example of the false teacher's recklessness and of their willfulness and of their puffed up arrogance. Peter describes how they do not tremble. They don't tremble, but they do something else instead. Peter writes, they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. That's clear. Moving on to the next verse. (laughs) What? What? What is this? What is... What is Peter talking about? Well, remember, remember what we've already seen. False teachers are those who claim to have great spiritual authority. False teachers claim to be perceptive. They claim to be powerful. They claim to have this amazing spiritual insight and ability. And so, according to Peter, they can be known to boast about their power to boast about their authority over even angels and demons, their ability to control and to command even demonic forces. And so, Peter says, these false teachers, they are eager to do, listen, they are eager to do what even holy angels won't do. Holy angels who legitimately have great power and might and authority, they do not go around talking smack about demons. They do not go around talking arrogantly towards and about demons. Do you remember in the little book of Jude where Jude says something very similar to this? Second Peter and Jude have many similar themes and passages that they explore. Uh, explore. Jude gives us a, a very clear example of this in Jude verse 9 where Jude writes, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he, that is Michael, the strong, powerful archangel, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And then Jude says, but these people these people referring to false teachers, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. Even Michael, the, the archangel Michael, Michael talking angel to demon, talking one powerful angelic creature to another powerful demonic creature, even Michael would not say, I curse you. I rebuke you. I command you. I have power over you. No. What did Michael say? What name did Michael submit himself to? How does Michael address the devil? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord deal with you. The Lord judge you in your arrogance, in your defiance, in your rebellion against him. Listen, the point is, Michael knows who truly has power over the devil. And it's not him. It is the Lord. It is the Lord who rules and reigns and who will always receive glory and honor and power. Years ago, when I was on staff at Christ Community Church in Southern California... A young man stopped in one day who wanted to do a concert at our church. He told me uh, that he was an up-and-coming Christian rap artist. And since I have nothing against Christian rap, I can enjoy some good old-school DC talk with the best of them. Uh, so I, I told him I would be happy to listen to his album. I'd be happy to check out his his material. But as I started to listen to it, it was filled with song after song of him boasting about himself, boasting of his power and his accomplishments. In one song, he claimed to be a demon assassin. He's a demon assassin who walks around busting caps and demons' heads every day. And so, after much prayer, we decided not to have him come and, and do a concert at our, at our church because the point is, listen, brothers and sisters, Peter's point is, it is always a red flag. It is always a red flag when someone starts to boast about their power as if the power belongs to them. We are not autonomous. We are all to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is always a red flag when someone speaks or acts in careless ways or in self-centered ways about the spiritual battle that we are engaged in it is always a red flag when someone is reckless and arrogant towards satan and towards demons why well what did peter write in his first letter how are we supposed to conduct ourselves when it comes to these kinds of matters peter wrote be sober-minded be watchful Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So what should we do? How should we conduct ourselves? Peter says, resist him. Firm in your faith. Instead of being loud, proud, and reckless, we are to be humble. We are to be submitted to Christ. We're to be sober-minded. We're to be watchful. We're to stand firm in our faith. Why? Because Christ is in us. Christ is with us. And he has the authority. He is before all and over all. But false teachers have a very overinflated view of themselves and their ability. Next, look at verse 12 on into the first part of verse 13. Peter writes, But these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Please note this on your outline. Number two, false teachers are beast-like in their foolishness. They are in rebellion towards their image-bearing status. They are, in fact, Preparing themselves for destruction. And listen, if Peter's words sound severe and dramatic, good! They're meant to be so. The foolishness, the insanity of what these false teachers are doing, it is so extreme that Peter feels compelled to use this kind of language. False teachers, he says, are like irrational, unreasonable animals. Creatures who act only by instinct. He says they are like a cow that is only good for turning into a cheeseburger. He says they are like a pig that actually improves its condition when it is killed and becomes bacon. Now, I I know that seems crazy to talk like that. It seems crazy to think like that because People are not animals. People are made in the image of God. We are made and created to reflect something of God's glory, something of His ability to think, to feel, to move, to act. The entirety of the Scriptures make it crystal clear that we are image bearers of God. We are created in His image and For His glory. And so for this reason, I love Psalm 8. Psalm 8, which explains our place in this world. David writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? That you are mindful of Him. The Son of Man, that you care for Him. Yet, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And then David closes the psalm saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name! In all the earth. Well, what sense does that make? How majestic is your name in all the earth? Shouldn't David have said, how majestic is our name in all the earth? No. A million times no. Why? Because we are to reflect God and His glory. Not, not, not our name be exalted, but His name be exalted in us and through us. And yet, what have these false teachers done? It is insanity. It is foolishness. They have abandoned reason. They have rejected the goodness and the authority of God. Instead of listening to God, they are listening to themselves. They are listening to their greed. They are listening to their lust. They are actively opposing God. God who is righteous. God who is holy. God who is all-knowing and all-powerful. This makes no sense. They are acting like an unthinking, unreasoning animal. And the end result of their madness is seen in verse 12. They will, quote, be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Now listen, if Peter sounds repetitive here, it's intentional. If Peter sounds like he's repeating himself, it is purposeful. His repetition here is stressing a sowing and reaping principle. They sow, his point is this, listen, they sow destruction in the lives of others through their false teaching and they will reap destruction for themselves. They are sowing destruction. They will reap destruction. They sow wrongdoing in the lives of others as they take advantage of people. You say, how do they take advantage of people? We'll get to that in just a minute. But they sow wrongdoing in the lives of of, 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 of other people as they use them and as they abuse them. And they will reap for themselves harm. They will reap for themselves misery and destruction upon themselves. These false teachers, they have rejected Christ. And so they will pay the penalty for their sins. Paul warns, the Apostle Paul warns about this very same thing in Galatians 6, where he says so clearly, so unequivocally, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, brothers and sisters, putting false teachers aside for just a moment, I want to ask you, what are you sowing today? What are you sowing in your life today? How are you building your life? How are you investing your life? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you following your self and your own thoughts and feelings and greeds and lusts? Or are you sowing to the Spirit? You say, what what does that mean, sowing to the Spirit? What does that look like, brothers and sisters? Sowing to the Spirit is all about loving God, adoring God, worshipping God, following Him and loving those that God has placed around you. Believe it or not, it is not rocket scientist. Sorry, I didn't even say that right. I'm not a rocket scientist. This is not rocket science. Sowing to the Spirit. What does it look like? It looks like love. Love for God and love for those that God has placed around you. But again, the question is, where are you sowing today? And... Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. The consequences are enormous. Next, look at the middle of verse 13 on into verse 14. Peter writes, They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Noted on your outline number three. Outwardly and inwardly, these false teachers demonstrate that they are in fact enslaved to their own lusts and desires. They are not free. They are not free. They are consumed with sin they're consumed with sin that's what peter is showing us these false teachers are slaves to sin and they demonstrate that slavery to sin both inwardly and outwardly. Peter says they revel in the daytime, meaning they just seem to be partying all day and all night. Their motto is always, it's five o'clock somewhere. It is always happy hour for the false teachers. Instead of working hard, they're always interested in taking the easy way out. They think only of themselves and of their Now listen, don't misunderstand Peter. By Peter saying that they revel in the daytime, he's not saying, I just wish they would do it at night. That would be okay. If they would just revel at nighttime, that would be okay. No, that's not what he's saying. He's highlighting just how absurd and ridiculous and self-centered these false teachers are. His point is they never do honest work. They never pursue what is righteous and good. They, they, they are drunk in the middle of the day. They never stop thinking about themselves. It's as if they have no shame. It's as if they have worked so hard, they've actually done it. They've killed their conscience. They're doing out in the open, out in the daytime, what normally people would only do at night under the cover of darkness for fear that someone else would see. Next, Peter says that they're blots and blemishes. They're blots and blemishes. Now, here, let me just be clear, Peter is not referring to a good kind of blot and blemish. Okay, Like the kind of stain that you may get on your shirt when you're frying up some bacon. That's something to be proud of. That's something to wear with honor and to let other people see that's not what peter has in mind here no here blots and blemishes it refers to like when your sweet little 10 month old just has a blowout that the diaper cannot contain okay that's the kind of blot and blemish that peter has in mind here it's not cute it desperately needs to be cleaned up immediately. So Peter says they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. His point is this. These false teachers, they delight in their deceptions. They think they're so clever. They do. I'm so clever the way that I deceive you, the way that I hide among you, the way that, look, we eat at the same potlucks, we eat at the same we we come to some of the same services. I am so clever. These false teachers, they enjoy pretending to be with you while all the while they are working to deceive you. Peter says they enjoy this. They delight in this. He also says in verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. False teachers use people for sex. They take advantage of people in the worst possible ways. They use the position of authority that they have attained for themselves and they manipulate people, they coerce people. Listen, it is evil, it is wrong, but it is not surprising. It is not surprising. Why? Because false teachers don't care about you. They don't. They don't care about you. They are not interested in your good. They don't care about what is good for others. They're always asking themselves the question, what's in it for me? How can I use this person to get what I want? This is the opposite of Christian love. This is the opposite of christ-like love of of sacrificial love this is the opposite of what we are called to do for one another in following the example of christ and these false teachers who do they look for who do they pray upon who do they strive to manipulate peter says that they look for unsteady souls These are souls that are not yet well grounded in the truth and they go after them. These are individuals who are struggling in their faith, who have questions. These are individuals who are going through trials and difficulties and what do they do? They single them out and then they bait them and hook them like a fisherman does with a fake worm and a hook and they bring these people in close with False promises and empty hopes. Why? To take from them. To use them. To manipulate them for their own selfish purposes. This is why Peter said at at, at the end of verse 14, what are they like on the inside? They have hearts trained in greed. Here Peter uses an athletic term. Okay? Okay these false teachers work out to the soundtrack of greed that's what they do they they work out to the soundtrack of greed they find new ways to cultivate greed and lust in their hearts it's like a game to them it's like a it's like a hobby to them and so at the end of verse 14 what does peter call them accursed children accursed children Meaning, God will not ultimately bless these false teachers. He will curse them. He will curse them. Now, it would mean very little if I were to curse you because I have very little power and authority. But what does it mean for God to curse someone? What does it mean for God to bring the weight of his anger against someone? What does it mean for God to bring the strength of his judgment in opposition to an individual? What does it mean for God to bring the terror of his wrath against someone? It is a frightening thought. In Hebrews 10.31, says so simply, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because there is no escape. There is no escape. Where will you hide from God when He comes looking for you? What will you do to stop His wrath when He decides to destroy? How will you escape the guilty verdict when you are exposed to His perfect blazing holiness? This text should remind all of us that there is but one hope for sinners. There is one hope for every kind of sinner. No matter what kind of sinner you are, there is one way of escape. There is one Savior you need. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, instead of being spotted and blemished on your own, in Christ... You can be made clean. You can be made righteous. You can be forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future. Remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18? He said, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot the point is do not die as one who is foolish do not die as one under the curse of sin do not die as one who is self-deceived live live as one who is redeemed in christ live as an adopted child of god Through Christ, remember that He promises cleansing and life and salvation to everyone who comes to Him, to everyone who comes. But, for those who will not listen, for false teachers who persist in their rebellion, Peter has one last warning, one last analogy, one last comparison in this section of verses. Look again at verses 15 to 16. Peter writes, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, stop there for a second. So, just in case you were thinking that this is a different Balaam that you know, it's not that Balaam. We're talking about this Balaam, the son of Beor. All right? So, not that Balaam, this Balaam, who in Numbers 22 to 24, we read the most amazing story about. So what's so special about him? Well, read on. Peter says that he loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. Well, how did that happen? A speechless donkey spoke with with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Please note this on your outline. This is the point. This New Testament situation involving false teachers is kind of like an Old Testament situation involving a greedy, immoral false prophet named Balaam. Now, there is something very encouraging and something very sobering about this comparison. And I promise we will get to the encouraging and the sobering parts in fast order. But first, allow me one minute to refresh your memory as to the whole Balaam saga. Who was he? Where did he come from? What did he do? track with me for just a moment. Balaam was known as a prophet for hire. He was a man who supposedly could predict the future. He could even bring about blessings and curses upon people and things. As the children of Israel were passing through the wilderness to the promised land, it was making some of the surrounding nations uh, nervous. All right, These surrounding nations were seeing this large group of people, the children of Israel, passing through the wilderness into the promised land and they were getting nervous. So in numbers chapter 22, Balak, the son of sorry, not the son of the king of Moab, he decides to do something about this and he hires Balaam to come and to curse the nation of Israel. God steps in. God tells Balaam not to go and not to try to curse his people. But that's a problem for Balaam. He loves money. Balaam is obstinate and stubborn, so he keeps asking God, who keeps appealing to God, can I go now? Can I, can I go now? Can I, can I go now? Eventually, God stops warning Balaam and says, fine, follow your greed, see where it leads you. Eventually, Balaam heads off. Important detail, riding his donkey. And in that moment, God prepares a lesson for Balaam to show him just how blind he really is. God prepares an object lesson to show him how helpless he really is. He's not actually some great, powerful prophet. He's a sinful, needy man. We read at the end of Numbers 22 how the angel of the Lord, with his sword drawn, stands in Balaam's path, to oppose him. He stands in Balaam's path blocking him, but this great glorious prophet cannot see this. He's not aware of the presence of the angel of the Lord, but his donkey sees this. His donkey sees this, and two times his donkey, seeing the angel of the Lord, moves off the path away from the angel of the Lord, and two times Balaam becomes very angry and beats his donkey. The third time, they come to a very narrow place in the road where there is no way for the donkey to move around the angel of the Lord. So very wisely, the donkey simply sits down and refuses to go any further. And Balaam, for a third time, begins to beat his donkey. But this time, miraculously, the donkey speaks. The donkey speaks and rebukes Balaam, this dumb animal rebukes this glorious, mighty prophet who supposedly has so much insight and so much wisdom and so much power and in that moment when the donkey rebukes Balaam, God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the presence of the majesty of the angel of God with his drawn sword in his hand and the angel of the Lord says this to Balaam, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. The donkey's okay. You deserve to die. Is what the angel of the Lord says to Balaam. This dumb animal saw what the prophet could not see and this dumb animal saved Balaam. God used this donkey to shame Balaam. To show Balaam just how foolish and helpless he really is. Now, as the story progresses, Balaam persists. Balaam goes anyway eventually to balak he is hired to curse the nation of israel but four times count it four times every time balaam goes to curse the people of god what does he do he ends up blessing the people of God. Every time Balaam opens his mouth to speak curses upon the people of God, God overrides and God intervenes. And Balaam ends up speaking blessings upon the people of God. Balaam ends up predicting and proclaiming God's work in God's people. He proclaims God's work through God's people and God's work for God's people. Now, you may hear all of that and say, well, what a wonderful story. I really, I really like that story. Everything worked out just beautifully. And I'm sure that Balaam learned a very important lesson and he went back home and he lived happily ever after. You may think that, but you would be wrong. Because when Balaam saw that he could not curse the people of God, he taught Balak. He taught Moab how to corrupt the people of God. In the very next chapter, in Numbers 25, listen, the people of Moab don't attack the people of God. They invite the people of God to come to their worship service, to participate in, in, in our form of, of worship, to join in with our flavor of sexual immorality you don't need the god who rescued you out of egypt and he was bringing you through the wilderness he was good for a time but we've got something else to offer you we've got something else for you to enjoy for you to join with us and so we read in numbers 31 verse 16 these words behold these on balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, of course, I I, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. Uh, Balaam does not live happily ever after. He is himself destroyed. He does not succeed. He does not escape judgment. You can read about it in Numbers 31. But listen, Balaam's life does illustrate a very important point that Peter is trying to draw our attention to, and it's this. Note this on your outline. The church can never be conquered from the outside in. God's people can never be destroyed by external forces. God will take the curses of the enemy and turn them into blessings, but our hearts and minds can be corrupted. Our hearts and minds can be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that is the real danger. That is what... Peter wants us to see and to understand. This is why Peter spends so much time showing us, helping us see the picture and the corruption of false teachers. This is why Peter spends so much time warning us that we would never listen to their counsel, that we would never... Follow in their footsteps. Peter spends so much time begging us to see both their present slavery and their future destruction. Why would you want anything to do with that? Why would you want to allow your heart to be deceived and to be led astray from a pure and from a sincere devotion to Christ? Why would you want anything to do with these false teachers? They are to be exposed, not followed. They are to be exposed, not followed. Why? Because there is fullness of life and fullness of joy to be found in Christ. Amen. Remember in Psalm 16, David said of the Lord that there are eternal treasures at your right hand. Why would you forsake eternal joy and treasures with Christ for what is so cheap and shallow and deceptive. We are called to pursue Christ. We are called to find fullness of joy and satisfaction in Him. More on that next week. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we we humbly ask that You would Instruct our hearts where we need to be instructed. We pray that we would receive rightly this warning, this text from Peter that you inspired him to write, that we would see the slavery to sin that runs Rampant throughout so much of our world that we would see the folly of it, the foolishness of it, the disastrous consequences of it. And may we run after Christ. May we truly find joy and safety and peace in Him. Lord, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Help us not to be deceived, but to see things Clearly and rightly do this good work in us and through us and for us and do it ultimately for your supreme glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.